Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Mark Ambrosio. And I'm your co-host, Megan Bull. And Mark, I, I have a kind of kind of weird question for you. How do you culturally identify as in, do you see yourself as Canadian or do you see yourself as whatever a mixture of your ethnic background? That's a very good question, Megan. Yes. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, those are very interesting questions. Um, I, I was born here in London, Ontario. Um, so I feel very much here at home in Southwestern Ontario. Um, in some ways I identify more as an Ontarian than a Canadian, but, um, but also aware my dad's family, my surname is Ambrosio. My dad's family is from Italy. Mm-hmm. My paternal grandfather was born in Calabria um, across across the channel from Sicily. Uh, my mom's family is a mixture of English and Irish heritage. And part of my mom's family uh, ancestry goes back to the United Empire Loyalists. So there's a lot of interesting uh, things happening there. And culturally, I, I do see myself, in addition to being Canadian, whatever that may mean, <laughs> yes. I also see myself as being... Uh, I, I feel I, I do identify culturally with Ireland and England and England, and to some extent with Italy. Uh, not not to the same extent because I don't speak Italian. Uh, if I spoke Italian, I probably would resonate a little bit more. But all to say, the, I think these are very complicated questions worthy of a radio show and podcast. So joining us today to talk about these questions, we have Amina Abid. Amina, thank you for joining us today. Why don't you introduce thank yourself you. and tell us a little bit about your research? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Amina. I'm a uh, MSW, um, sort of Masters of Social Work student from King's University College. Um, prior to this program, I also have a Bachelor of Social Work and a BA in History and Political Science. Um, I'm currently researching second generation immigration and I'm using nostalgia to explore that concept. So I myself, I am a second generation uh, immigrant. My mom is from uh, Punjab, India, and was raised Sikh. And my dad is Pakistani Muslim. So they met in um, they met in Brampton in the eighties as teenagers. <laughs> fell in love, got married against their parents' wishes, ran away together. Mm. I'm not here for the whole love story, but you can ask me <laughs> questions about it. Um, and you know, growing up, I grew up with sort of parents from two different cultures um and then I also you know I had I, I grew up in Brampton so it was a multicultural upbringing but I was growing up in sort of a white Canadian society and I felt like I was at the intersection of these three different cultures and so now I'm I'm a social work student and I'm I'm interested in exploring you know questions of identity that's yeah. really that's really interesting, and I would like to hear more about the love story because it sounds like you're you know in the eighties <laughs> typical romance you know against your parents' wishes. That might be a conversation for another time. I want to focus now on you mentioned a concept of nostalgia. Yeah. So what is that concept exactly? <laughs> yeah. So nostalgia was a concept I was originally introduced to in, in an English uh, pop culture course, and this was years ago when I was doing my first degree. Um, but what I found. Um, really interesting. So a lot of times when we use the word nostalgia, we're often referring to it as um, something that reminds us of childhood. Mm -hmm. So we'll, you know, talk about like full house reboots or something like that. Like, oh, I feel really nostalgic about this. Um, And it was during that course uh, that my professor argued that our relate that that as a culture, the more nostalgic we are, the more fear we have about the future. We look backward when we don't feel like we have much of a future. 
So nostalgia, it comes from this, uh, it, it was originally a medical diagnosis that uh, was termed by a Swiss psychiatrist in 1688, Johannes Hofer. And this psychiatrist was looking at Swiss mercenaries who had been separated from their homes for an extended period of time and would basically become ill. And the only cure he found was like being able to send them home. So nostos comes from the Greek word for homeland and alja means pain. So nostalgia is the longing or pain for home. Okay. I find that idea linking, we're all familiar in our everyday conversation with the word nostalgia, mm -hmm. uh, but we don't necessarily pause to think, what does that mean? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, um, but we aware of, of a sentiment. Um, and I find linking it with the word pain to be very interesting, um, which is true, because it can be very, nostalgia seems to be to be a very mixed emotion, because let's say, you know, you're listening to, like, I like a lot of 80s music, mm -hmm. and um, you're listening to it, and it may bring out, you know, it may, for a lot of people listening to, for example, let's say, um, a song they may associate with happy memories, mm -hmm. and it may have, you know, a heartwarming effect, but then following two seconds behind is that sense of almost a sense of mourning that that moment that they're recalling from the past is not present in the same way it was before and so it's almost this nostalgia almost seems to be an inherently mixed sensation or you know it's you know you're here in the present you're looking mm -hmm. at the past but you're also aware like, what's happening there? Can you unpack that? Yeah. So nostalgia is very much a mixed emotion. Um, and so the thing that distinguishes nostalgia from homesickness is homesickness implies that there's a home to go back to in the present. You know, um, so, for instance, a lot of university students, they come to Western, they move to London for the first time, they might feel homesick. And the cure is, you know, maybe visiting Ottawa for, for a mm -hmm. week during reading week, right? Uh, nostalgia becomes a lot more complicated when the thing that you're longing for isn't a thing you can actually return to. So in the con in, in the idea when it comes to uh, listening to a song from the 80s, um, it, you, you know, um, I don't know if you grew up in the 80s or if uh, it's more like well, you were listening to the I, Yes, I was alive yeah. in the 80s. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So, oh um, for instance... But, but no, I'm not recalling, uh, you know, <laughs> being an adult in the 80s. Yeah, no. so, you know, the song becomes, um, in Psychodynamics, we talk about this idea of, like, the object. And, and the song becomes, like, an object that connects us to that past, mm -hmm. right? Um, I loved Little House on the Prairie growing up. And mm -hmm. even that, like, that's nostalgia within nostalgia, because you're like... Mm -hmm. My my mom introduced it to me because she watched it during her uh, childhood. Okay. I'm watching it, longing to be like a pioneer in 18 <laughs> like 66. I and I'm like a kid growing up in like, oh yeah 2000. Well, you almost have this weird uh, sense of societal nostalgia because, <laughs> yes. so for example, like I was not alive in the 60s, mm -hmm. but I can remember people listening to 60s yes. music, and so in the you know when I was younger, and so it's like okay, well I'm participating in a cultural tradition. Yeah. Um, even though the the memory for me was not original, but the memory for me is it's still a memory. Yes, and that ties really well to the, the to sort of the idea that I'm exploring with immigration because the critical piece there is that the past that you are longing for is imagined. Mm -hmm. The place or the thing, you know, whether it's the 80s, whether it's um, like, for instance, in, in my case, you know, I have... I've actually never visited India or Pakistan, but I've heard a lot of stories from my parents. Um, my grandma just is currently visiting India. Um, and 
a lot of my relationship with those two places is imagined. You know, I I, I don't have um, necessarily much of an idea of what it would mean to like grow up in my mom's village, but I've imagined this place. And a lot of second generation immigrants, we grow up with the stories that our parents have told us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, and here's an interesting thing I found in, in as I've been like looking at this stuff, is our parents usually tell us the good parts, not the bad. <laughs> yeah. And almost every single immigrant narrative is also tied with pain and trauma. You know, we mm-hmm. are not far removed from World War II. And that's something that everyone's grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. has a relationship with. Uh, from my own family, we are not far removed from the trauma of partition okay. that separated India and Pakistan into two different countries. Okay, so that actually ties in really well with what I'm going to ask you with your whole explication on nostalgia for longing for a home that isn't really there. Mm-hmm. So for me, and for you looking at second generation immigrants, what kind of pain do they experience? Because as you said, you're imagining what your mother told you. You've never actually lived mm-hmm. in her village. So you're imagining a place that maybe doesn't exist. So what kind of pain comes with that? Yeah. So I think um, sort of one one of the questions that I want to ask with my research is, you know, if I'm saying that second generation immigrants might be experiencing a pain for home, there's kind of two parts of that. What is this home? Mm-hmm. What, like, what is this thing they're longing for? And then what is the pain? What is the algae? And so Eric Erickson was a development, a child development theorist. Oh, classic. And he <laughs> talked about how adolescents um, must resolve uh, identity versus identity confusion. So that that's a, sort of a core thing. Mm-hmm. You're growing up and you're individuating. And individuation is a it's, it's a painful process. It's a painful process to be like, ah, I'm Amina. I'm different than the rest of the world because every single person is 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 different in some ways and also very similar to the rest of the humans around you. Growing up is acknowledging and understanding that, like, you know, you are different. I think this process is complicated for second generation immigrants because maybe you're growing up with one set of, like, cultural practices at home, another at school. You're Mm -hmm. trying to fit in. And I haven't talked to anyone who said, yeah, adolescence was great for me. I had no issues whatsoever, you know? And so what happens in in adolescence, usually we start over-identifying with one aspect of our identity. You know, it's like, I'm I'm an emo kid. I listen to emo music. This is my the core part of my identity. Oh, you're talking to the emo kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, the emo kid, or maybe you're a punk, or maybe you're Whatever this aspect of your identity and often, you know, second generation immigrants in in adolescence, they want to shed their cultural identity because it makes them weird. Mm. And that's I think that's part of the pain. Shed it, though. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I always I always thought the answer would be they they can't figure out which one they want to be. So why would they want to shed it? Yeah. So one part of it is that, you know, it. In growing up in Canada, uh, there's often certain cultures that are valued more. Often European cultures are looked at more fondly than maybe um, uh, some other um, countries. However, just the the notion of what is normal is a big Mm -hmm. thing on a lot of, Mm -hmm. like, people's minds when they're growing up because they want to be what is normal, not necessarily what is ethnic or cultural. And so the thing about, you know... I, I went to a bit of like a white rural school for a brief time. Mm-hmm. 
And I was one of the few non-white kids there. And I didn't necessarily think, oh, my goodness, I want to be white. I just wanted to fit in. And so the thing that I thought was holding me back from fitting in, and to some degree was true, was I was the South Asian kid. And I, I was growing up Muslim. And I was growing up with these sort of cultural factors that I felt like were separating me from my peers. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm interested in nostalgia is what I have found is a lot of people, we kind of have that sort of shedding period of, I just want to fit in. And then in adulthood, we experience loneliness, we experience other things, you know, a big thing in, in, in adulthood maybe is finding a partner uh, or you know, thinking about um, the next generation, thinking about what things you want to carry. And with all of that comes this piece of nostalgia, you know, starting to think, man, where am I from? Like, there's a reason why Ancestry.com has <laughs> boomed. Yeah. I find it, um, this question of nostalgia and immigration to be very interesting. Um, I, can Im- I can imagine the situation of first, like, someone who's immigrated themselves. Mm-hmm. And I can understand how, for them, that would be, you know, could be potentially very painful. Uh, you know, have these memories, they miss the place of their origin. So but then we also have at the other, that's at one hand of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, we have, so for example, let's think of the stereotypical, um, the trope of Italian-Americans in New York City. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there is that cult- subcultural identity. And these are people who may never have been in Italy, and they may not even be second generation, they may be third or fourth generation, but they may still, may still speak with a bit of a unique Italian-American New York accent. Mm-hmm or like Irish Americans in Boston or Chicago. And so for them, it's not painful because it was three, four, five generations mm-hmm. ago. Um, Amina, I'm very intrigued by your research because you are looking at second generation. So I almost wonder, what is it about second generation? Is it because it's close enough, but mm-hmm. not too distant kind of mm-hmm. thing? Tell us tell us a little bit about, about yeah, that. Yeah, so one of the reasons that I really wanted to look at second generation immigrants is because I think there's a something critical kind of happens with the second generation um, where the first generation the ge- is the generation that effectively they chose to move here, right? Mm-hmm. So that generation is often, they are aware of the conditions of whatever the home nation is and they have some imagined idea of what Canada might be like. They make the decision to move and I think the fact that there's agency in that decision and that it's often, you know, based on economic or material concerns, sometimes, you know, a- exacerbated by war or other conditions, that when they do come here, despite maybe facing racism or facing some idea like you don't belong here, mm-hmm. they're able to kind of live with, hey, we made this choice and we can see that this is better. Second generation immigrant kids are often like they're just raised with the memory of their parents you know they may visit um, their home country but that may be years after like their parents have left so the country they return to is very different than maybe the country that their parents left I think second generation immigrants you know have a bit of a not as a a choice but sort of um, often what might happen is sort of the Italian-American case where they identify this important, like, hey, being Italian is important to us, and we're going to create this sort of sub-identity in a larger American context. Or they effectively just lose that entirely and, like, become, whether it's Canadian, whether it's um, American. So there's either this sort of identity negotiation and a consolidation of the immigrant identity or not. And then 
at that point, I think it's it's like how the second generation continues to ch- like choose whether to carry on their culture and what to teach their kids. I'm so my question is, it's it's I it's not to poke at the mm-hmm. at the uh, criticality of the second generation, but I'm wondering if certain as you've described certain milestones maybe mm-hmm. have to be met to um, envision a certain outcome, whether that's you know a negotiation or 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 leaving it entirely. And I ask that because as as I think we've spoke a bit already. I my mother is a second mm-hmm. generation immigrant, but she would not see a role conflict. Part of that being because she was very close to um, our German relatives mm-hmm. who still are living in Germany and who I have gotten to know mm-hmm. throughout my life. The difference is, I think she got to know them more regularly, or maybe she didn't have an maybe she didn't have that conflict. Mm-hmm. That's also possible. But for me, I did because I remember meeting them. I remember them being in my life periodically, and I remember going over there and feeling a, a longing actually to mm-hmm. be German even though I I I've been raised and born in Canada. Mm-hmm. So my question to simplify all of that for you is are there certain milestones that have to be met or is it or is there something just unique maybe to the second generation person? Hmm, is it- that's an interesting question. Um, are are you saying like are are there certain milestones that need to be met in order for nostalgia to be experienced? Is that for the nostalgia? Question? Yeah. Yes. Sorry. That, that I'm going to yeah. clarify that. <laughs> so I think the reason I'm looking at second generation immigrants in particular is well, one to effectively narrow the research so I can that's have true. one term to <laughs> no, throw into keyword searches and census and and stuff like that, because from what I'm reading and what I'm, you know, and some of the discussions I've had informally with, you know, the first and second and third generation immigrants in my life, it's not universal that like all second generation immigrants are necessarily experiencing mm-hmm. it. And it's also not, you know, like nostalgia is not um, solely something that I think second generations experience. I think that they're probably the demographic that might be most likely to experience that tension because something I've looked a lot into is this idea of liminality or in-between spaces. Mm-hmm. And the second generation is so positioned to occupy that in-between space. And like yeah. from an identity standpoint, it's often really painful to occupy any sort of social identity where you're not one, like 100% of one or the other. You know, you're you're both or, you know, in my case... When someone asks me where I'm from, it's kind of I'm like, okay, this is a complicated <laughs> question. You know, I, I once wrote a poem where I said it takes a long time to really be from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Be, you know, I I don't know if that fully. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And uh, I I should have been. I think I should have been a little more clear with that question. But at the same time, that that role conflict, even that that struggle that you just described there. Yeah. Arguably, I mean, it's it's a very ingrained part of the Canadian identity or the Canadianness that we I, th- I think as Canadians pride ourselves on mm-hmm. is this idea of in-betweenness mm-hmm. but it can also be a struggle yeah yeah I think yeah I mean I, I'm really I like the idea of liminality and I can see how that can apply individually um, like I can see how it applies mm-hmm. to cultural or ethnic identity um, the idea of liminality and even phases in one's life mm-hmm. uh, transitioning from one state to another 
I wanted to ask you, these are very interesting conversations we're having or topics that are coming up. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, when we started the show, you mentioned that you're doing a master's social work mm -hmm. at King's College here at Western. So I wanted to ask you, so are you qualified, you're, like you have your BSW, your Bachelor of Social Work? I do, I do. And yeah. then secondly, I want to ask you, how does this uh, research you're doing fit into the profession of social work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, yeah, some of my social work experience includes, um, I, I was working in a crisis counseling capacity and I've also uh, worked in employment with individuals with disabilities and barriers. And then um, within social work, uh, in a Canadian context, second generation immigrants are 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 now going to be, I think, uh, one third of like the youth under fifteen. Mm -hmm. And with, uh, I think we have more first generation immigrants than ever before since Confederation. And so, when it comes to like social workers, whether you're working in a therapy office or in employment or policy, you're going to be dealing with a bunch of second generation and third like immigrants who are kind of figuring out, you know, like not just like what does it mean to be Canadian or what does it mean to be an immigrant, but it's like, okay, what does it mean to be me? Because I think uh, with each generation of immigrants who have come to Canada, they have also changed the fabric mm -hmm. of Canada. And so what it meant to be Canadian did not include what it meant to be Polish or Ukrainian back in 1910. Those yeah. were groups that we were the out group. And over time, um, those groups have become more consolidated into, you know, this sort of general Canadianness. And, you know, it, it's further complicated by the fact that we're on um, land of various Indigenous folks. Um, but, yeah, I think studying immigration is a critical thing um, for, for social workers to look at mm -hmm. in particular. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of studying immigration, though, how, how are you going to study this okay because the, what is the method that that is going to be you know used to <laughs> yes. quantify it right yes. now <laughs> so ideally uh, originally um what i i had done my ogs proposal um the with uh proposing that i would do like an ethnographic study so using semi-structured interviews um because i'm not in a research-based program that makes it a little more difficult mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. getting research approval can be Hard. Yes. And so it's a course based message. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm doing this as an independent study okay. with Dr. Laura Lewis. And um, what she suggested, she's like, well, Amina, you're, you've been using your own story to talk about these concepts for a long time. How about you match that with the literature and produce an autoethnography? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So an ethnography is a study of a particular people's or culture, and an autoethnography is when you do that. But you know, in the context of your own life. And what, if I can ask, what, what has your experience been? Like, can you give us a little glimpse of that, that story? Like, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm asking yeah, big questions. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have, uh, entering social work was an interesting experience for me because uh, I'm one of the few racialized students in the program. And that's been sort of a big discussion in social work, you know, how do we diversify the program and, and things like that. And when you are one of those students, you start spend a lot of time thinking about identity. You think a lot of time thinking about, okay, what does it mean to be racialized or to be a person of color or to be a second generation immigrant? Like, what do all these 
words really mean. And I mean, it's there's this idea of subjectivity. No one label, Mm -hmm. whether it's cultural or otherwise, can get to the core of who you are as a person. You know, there is some Amina-ness or (laughs) Megan-ness or Mark-ness at the center of who you are that no identity can capture. I think that looking at second generation immigrant immigration and nostalgia and the relationship to the homeland can be a core part of uncovering that. But it's not the whole thing. What my own experience has been is the more that I explore another aspect of my identity, you know, and in this case, it's it's culture and immigration, the more I realize that um, identity is hard, individuation is hard, and it makes sense that we need to realize that what it means to be Canadian is complicated, what to mean to, what it means mm-hmm. to be ourselves. And I, I think what I, you know, if I could say anything, is like we, we need to be careful not to oversimplify our identities. Yeah, yeah identity is hard. And uh, <laughs> I think we're always like a lot of life is performative. And um, we are we're different people in different mm-hmm. contexts. And we're a lot of that is like even mm-hmm. unintentionally, we may act a certain way around some people, yeah. um, act a different way around other groups of friends. It's very interesting, this idea of identity. Speaking of identity um, and individuation, um, so tell us a little bit about Amina. Um, did you do all your studies here at Western? <laughs> and maybe outside of the classroom, what has your Western or your your personal life been like? Like, are you involved? have you been involved in any extracurriculars? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, when I started at Western, I used to work for the Gazette, and I uh-huh. did some debate. I, I was a proud soft for four years, two years of Ontario Hall and two years of off-campus. Um, and I volunteered for different things um, in the community. But I think all of that sort of left me with this idea that if, when it comes to nostalgia, if the problem is a lack of home, then the task for social workers and even people outside of social work is building community, building home here, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that that's what I'm trying to get at with my research is saying that I think there is this longing for home that a lot of people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And if we frame it as a longing for home rather than just saying mental illness or Mm -hmm. intergenerational trauma or, you know, low social well-being (laughs) or whatever, whatever research it discusses this problem as and we frame it as a longing for home and belonging I think that that can really give people in a lot of maybe different areas of working with people like the tool to see how do we go forward how do we how do we create Mm -hmm. a better community for for the next people who come and I think these are really big questions, and I apologize for asking the big questions myself. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but um, in the last few minutes that we have, um, did you have any social media, any anything that you'd like to let our viewers know if they want to find out more about your yeah, research? Yeah, so um, you can add me on LinkedIn, Amina Abid, and I also am happy to like answer any emails, so that's aabid22 at uwo.ca. We'll be sure to share those links in our episode descriptions. So that's awesome. Thank you very much. And thank you for very much for being on the show, Amina. But you're, I think, the first social work student that's been on Gradcast. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, potentially the first, at least the first in a while, but potentially the very first. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I, yeah, this, this was really great. It's been really fun. It's yeah. been really fun having you. Thanks. So with that, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Megan Vol, and my co-host was Mark Ambrosio, and we've been speaking with Amina Abid. And this episode was produced by Susie Lee. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. And to listen to us, we're on Radio Western at 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. So thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your night, day, morning, whatever that is. And feel a bit nostalgic because that's what we've learned today. Thanks, Amina. (laughs) 